Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Broken Oars podcast. And this is going to be the first of our special edition Broken Oars indoors. Before we get into why this is Broken Oars indoors, have we have we got a few mere culpas? I have nothing to declare but my genius, Oscar Wilde once said, obviously not myself. As you will know, regular listeners who have stuck with us through thick and thin, and let's be honest, there's been a lot more thin and quite a lot of thick from both of us. We did, uh, I guess you'd call it an Olympic roundup, an Olympic washup, whatever the current kind of parlance is. We basically called each other for a chat on the Sunday morning after the after the last race and kind of worked through the British performance. And I think we've quite fairly, Lewin, we came to the conclusion that it wasn't any one reason why we didn't do as well as usual. It was a complex of reasons. But Stan, who has followed us since day one, pointed out that we made a couple of factual errors. To we, do. we, in fact, made three factual errors. Three women's crews from the Athens Olympics who did rather well. They did. And we would just like to say to those women's crews that we did not write you out of history because we are the patriarchy. It was just us chatting. And in the process of chatting and talking through things in the same way that we would over a coffee, which was the whole point of it being a, a broken thought as opposed to a broken horse episode, uh, we dropped the ball. I, I am going to say in my defence, at least one of us was slightly hungover at that point and was and was waiting for the paracetamol to kick in. And I think it was me who made the very clear statements. So, yeah, we only got the one goal in Athens. And uh, yeah, one, one of us was definitely waiting for the paracetamol and the ibuprofen to kick in at that point. And uh, yeah, full apologies. Other, other things that, that we need to... Oh, yes. Yes. Matthew Pinson, on the fly, on Twitter, has invented a new Olympic sport. It's a combination of lots of other sports. It's a cross-disciplinary sport for very fit people. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we could call it CrossFit or something like this. Matthew Pinson has invented CrossFit. Just Let me just try that word on for size there, there Lou, and I, I, I recognise the thread that you're referring to, CrossFit. CrossFit. Where He's you got a ring to it. I reckon it could catch on. I think that could become a something. I feel that Matthew may have hit upon something. I think there was some of a, a bit of a barney between you and him about um, some kind of weird ruling that uh, you both disagreed with. I, I, I mean, what does this mean? Are you now an item? Are you going to get a room? Are you going to chat about it? I think I think we get might get a com- conference room to discuss this new Olympic sport and whether we can monetize it. Because let's face it, if he makes his fortune, there might be room for another Olympic medalist at the BBC. Yes, but we've got Flames there. Flames is, is in sterling <laughs> work. Flames Hacknell. Flames, Flames Hacknell, the, the man who tells it like it is, s- stepping through all the politically correct nonsense of the modern era. A, fl- a man who tells it like it is, who steps through the, the politically correct nonsense of the modern era, then has his motorbike stolen from a secure lockup in Manchester, but rather than cry about it, he actually ran home just to prove that he could. Flames. All the way to Putney. We um, you. Man's a genius. Now we have done what we used to call our housekeeping, or as we used to refer to it, washing our dirty laundry in public, which is basically us fessing up to our mistakes. What are we talking about in this episode, Dr. Hines? Old friend, old buddy, old crewmate, old colleague. Okay, so yes, this is the first of a, a little subgenre we're calling broken oars indoors this is partly because of the ridiculous amount of time that 
rowers spend on the ergo, on the indoor rowing machine. I imagine we may have one or two lucky listeners who live very close to a river or a lake and own their own boat and have access to their own rowing club and have absolutely no need of the rowing machine for fitness. But for the rest of us, and particularly over lockdown, we, the rowing community, have actually spent a grotesque amount of time on rowing machines we've been racing we've been doing distance challenges we've been racing the thames in aviator sunglasses which has been great fun thank you london youth rowing yeah we've done run run in the rowing room where we race down the simulated river uh, which again thank you very much uh run rowing club that was that was genius I partly, because of my own history, I got into rowing through indoor rowing. I wanted to reach out a little bit to the indoor rowing community. I wanted to do a few podcasts exclusively about indoor rowing, about that community, about its interactions with the on the water community where the two overlap and critically where they don't, I think. That's that's one thing I wanted to really drill into. So over the next, the forthcoming weeks and months, we will have a, a series of chats with people who are pretty much dedicated to the indoor side of the sport. And we are hoping to find out more about it, but also to look at the things that we can take forward as rowers, because as a club rower, you will spend a large proportion of your life on a rowing machine looking at a split. And there has to be more than one way to skin the cat of being on a rowing machine. So hopefully we'll get some things and some ideas from this. Is this our Phil Collins and Genesis moment, Lewin? Are we, are we? No, no. I, I, I want to take this moment to reassure our dedicated listeners. Broken Oars Indoors is not about to become a solo project. I've put a lot of these interviews together in a short space of time. And it was quite difficult to arrange three people having the chat. So you're only going to hear my voice on this interview with John Steventon of the Row Along YouTube channel, um, which is another way of essentially, like you said, skinning the cat. It's a way of spending time on the rowing machine and making it more interesting, finding your way into another community. But no, the Broken Oars is very much, it's a crew effort. And uh, myself and Aaron are the crew and we will not be splitting up. There, there will not be a solo effort going forward. Yes, he, he did these interviews by himself because because he didn't want my gobby northern illiterate thickness intruding on his scientific inquiries, dear listeners. That's what he's trying to tell you. It's like stinging the police all over again, but this time it's not the Geordie who's leaving, it's the posh southern one going off to forge his own career. Absolutely not. At, at best, this is... This is me flying to New York to record a guitar track with Rage Against the Machine's producer. That's, that's the closest thing that it can be said. Let's let John take it away and we shall come back in on the flip side and talk about what we can take away from what was a very interesting chat, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Broken Oars podcast. Uh, with me now, I have John Stevenson of the Row Along YouTube channel. And we're just going to have a quick chat about indoor rowing. So, John, um, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your sporting history and most of all, the Row Along channel itself. So 
I'm 46 now, so I've hit that point where I'm no longer young enough to properly compete and be in the proper sporting world. So I've landed in indoor rowing at a, a perfect point. Now, this if we rewind all the way back to when I was 16, 17. I was a squash player, and uh, okay. that was my that was my life. I was running up and down chasing a, a ball in a white box, and got to a relatively good level here in in Glasgow. I was the the number one at David Lloyd, and um, I was yeah, it was it was all kind of going relatively well. But the problem is, is with squash, especially here anyway, the slightest increase in skill and, and ability was almost like golf, where it was vast, and I'd stand on court hitting figure of eight volley um, cross things and ended up completely destroying my shoulder and to the point that I can't lift my arm above my shoulder anymore and I can if I do something weird but and people worked out they could lob me really easily and so uh, I okay. went to a surgeon about it and said what do I do and he said well you can either stop playing squash learn to play with your right hand or we can do a rather drastic surgery and I'm like I'll stop playing squash okay. <laughs> so, um, so that was so that was it. But the things that part of the cardio training for squash um, was rowing. Marks and my coach was in between. He'd say, right, go on, do a, a 20 minute row. Absolutely no instruction whatsoever. He just said row for 20 minutes. Um, and, and that was it. So I had been rowing at one point. Then life rolls on and I became a cyclist for a while and um, uh, and kind of, again, I was never really that good at cycling. I could tell I was like a workhorse. I could cycle for ages, was really fit, but never really had the, the, the speed in order to, to properly compete with these guys. And, um, and so kind of messed around with that for a while and kind of thought, oh, is this what I'm going to do? But of course, as a cyclist, you, your legs get big, but your arms are, are tiny and puny. Yeah. And then, so my, my, my job is I make TV programs. And uh, one of them I was making was the Queen's Baton Relay for the Commonwealth Games back in 2014. Though this has, yeah. has, a, has a link, don't worry. And um, the presenter for that program is a guy called Mark Beaumont, who's a, a Scottish adventurer guy. He he broke, he was one of the first people to break the round the world record for cycling. So some, most people, or some people will have heard of him, Scottish guy. Does he have... A pod, an endurance podcast, probably yes. He's yeah, yeah. And I, I've listened to a few of his things. Yeah, and he's just done. He just did a tandem lands into John the Groats and broke the record for that and things. So he's oh blimey, that's um, good. Rip, fit guy, really nice guy, one of the nicest people you 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 met. And I actually I, I I went up to his house to teach him how to edit for while he was away uh, around the world in the Queen's Baton. Really, while we were there, I spotted a concept two in the corner of his room, and I'm like. Why have you got a concept too? He said, well, remember I made a program, Road to the Atlantic. I'm like, oh, yeah, so you did. He said, but I capsized on one of them and I'm never going to row again. So it's just sitting there gathering dust as a closed source. And around about this time, like I, like I said, because I'm starting to think, is cycling my future? Is that all I'm going to do? I just had um, my second, yeah, just had my second uh, little girl and time was against me. I couldn't go out for five hour yeah. bike rides anymore. So I needed something I could do short, sharp and sweet. And I thought, you know what? I used to row. I did enjoy rowing it. He's selling it. This is kind of one of those moments. And so uh, for £650, bought his Concept 2, which Model D is a good price. Bargain. Uh, and then, and then that, that was kind of it. I just sat down and started rowing and thought, okay, well, there, I, remember, I remember this. Then I saw the little pack with the, the manual and the log card. And I'm like, what's a log card for? So we looked at the log card and went, all right, okay, so this is how I store my bits. Then I saw the thing saying, um, uh, go onto the forum 
and and check all this kind of stuff out. And I'm like, all right, okay, so there's, there's online forums. At which point I found out about Teams and things. And I'm like, all right, so there's Teams. Like, How does this work? And then I found out about Ropro. And I'm like, oh, hang on. This, so, so hang on. This is, this is genuinely bizarre because this is like very similar to kind of parts of the way I got into rowing full stop, but also indoor rowing. When was this happening? 2013, late 2013. Yeah, because it was it was before he went out to do this thing in 2014. So I'm just I'm just kind of thinking that I'd be deeply surprised if we didn't at some point row against each other on row pro with half hour gen fix at eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We must have then if that's what. Not absolutely must have. I'm, I'm sure I'm still rowing on row pro in 2013. And, and to be honest, I mean, it's skip, skipping my head, the story ahead of it. Those 30-minute gen fits were pretty much all I did when I when I started. I'd uh, I'd get up, have a breakfast and whatever, and then I'd still be cycling in, in and out of work and things. So I didn't give up on cycling. Um, but uh, before I did my three-quarters of an hour cycle into work, I'd go into my garage and do a 2K time trial on the Honda. <laughs> and this is the, the, be- the beautiful naivety that I had right at the beginning, where I had no idea about the pain of a 2K and, and the sufferance and all that kind of stuff, really fed into just, I just kept on going, this is great, I'm getting faster, this is amazing, this is, I'm really enjoying this. Something that then further down the line then starts to kick you in the backside when you, you, you sit down in the machine and go, oh my God, why do I keep on doing this? And just... Yeah. Which is, to be honest, when the countdown happens before a race and they, and they say, um, uh, handles down, get ready, whatever, the last thing that goes to my head is always that question going, why do I keep entering these? <laughs> but anyway, so, so I found, found teams, found all that stuff, and then I kind of typed in indoor rowing teams and found free spirits. Um, yep. I thought, all right, I'm free spirit, I'll do that, so join, chat away and whatever. And then start to post the times I was doing on, like the, the GenFit Ropros. And someone said, how old are you? And at the time I was, I would have been 38, 39 um, at that point. And I said, how heavy are you? And I was like, well, I'm about 82 kilograms. And, uh, and he says, you know, if you just lost seven kilograms, by the time you hit the 40 to 49 category as a lightweight, you're going to be one of the best in the world. And I'm like, shut up. And then they kind of started to look at the times. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is a, and suddenly I'd found, like, like I said, I, I'd been competitive. I'd been good at stuff. And then I thought I was lost to, to, to the chance. Okay. And suddenly there's this Van, Van diagram of like rowing, indoor rowing, and then 40 to 49 lightweight. And that group of however many thousands of, of people, suddenly I was in the gene pool of, some a way I could compete and I could strive to be the best at, at, in this thing. So and so that's really what then drove me into the indoor rowing, the performance side of it was was that. Brilliant. So how far did you get with that? So I uh, uh, oh Christ. Well, I mean, I, I won't bore you with all the stories because I, I, I've, 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 there's a whole bunch of stories about going to the Scottish and thinking I'd won. But it turned out that I hadn't won because it was the open and all that stuff. But I won't, I'll just okay. I'll, I'll, I'll bypass that lot. That's yeah. In fact, I've got a series of rows called like um, 
my history to roll along to or something. If people are actually that interested, they can roll along to it today. But I got one of the, I, um, what have I done? I've got two gold medals for the English Indoor Rowing Championships. Well done. I think I've got Brilliant. four gold medals for the Scottish Indoor Rowing Championships. I got silver in the British Indoor Rowing. This is over like various years. It's not like a... Yeah, yeah. Got silver at the British, which is, I mean, Tim Mayo was rowing that year, and there's, we all knew we were only rowing for, for silver. There's no way we were going to hit I think because Mark wasn't there that um, uh, that, that year, that's why why I was able to get silver. But that was probably my proudest achievement was that one, because I'd, I, mean, I was... That, I, I was in, and and was that the age group or the open? That was the 40-49. Okay, so, but I mean... That that that's not an easy event to win. I mean, forty to forty nine at the British Rowing Indoor Championships. That's like that was tough bananas. That was a really really um, hard row. I mean, I was. Um, uh, I mean, Tim did it in like six twenty six. I think I was six thirty seven or something. So he was streaks ahead of us all. Okay, uh, but I, I do remember because uh, um, I was in. I was in third place. Yeah, I was in third place trailing behind Luis. Um, and and I was thinking, oh, this is it. it's gone, it's gone. And I could hear the commentator going, Stevenson's lost it. He's he's going to be in third or whatever. And suddenly with 500 metres to go, I went, ah, hang on, I'm not, let, not letting Luis beat me. And just went for it. And I mean, I've spoken to, to Sam Blythe about this afterwards. And he was saying, he said, listen, you've got to remember, it's always easy to chase somebody. Because everyone always go, oh, valiant effort and, and whatever, even if you don't catch them. Whereas if you're ahead and you're trying to run away from someone. Yeah. It, it's, anyway, so that was a really tough one. I mean, the, the English championships, getting gold in them. I mean, the first time I did one, it was silver. And then I went silver, gold, gold over three years. Um, they were really tough. That was, I think, 636 was my PB that I got at one of them. So they were really tough. And then I think the, the Welsh, I got bronze. Um, yeah. Um, and but the biggest disappointment of my indoor rowing career is Crash B. Um, okay, uh, where the first time I went, I this is this is before I was before I knew anything. I mean, it's a video of me rowing rowing it uh, on YouTube, and um, you can see like my technique is rubbish and, and whatever. I knew nobody, so I was kind of just dotting about Boston on my own, going, oh, I don't know, I own this is dull. Yeah. And then I had no idea what's going on. I'm wearing like just a pair of like Adidas shorts or whatever and, and anyway and um rode my little heart out and came forth and i'm just like i came all this way to boston and uh and, and came forth and forgetting um, I, I don't know i mean again knowing like the results from the crash bees i'd take forth in the crash bees as a lifetime achievement it's it's not bad really no no i mean it's again it was like i think that was my would that be my third race ever? I think I did the Scottish, the English, and then that. Okay. I can't, I can't quite remember, although, well, I, yeah. Um, so, it, listen, it, it wasn't, I think I was disappointed. I, again, goes back to the naivety thing. I really thought that I had a, that, that I, I don't know, I, I probably didn't have any right to be disappointed. I think I'd, I'd yeah, I'd rode in the English before and got silver, so it's, it's not like I would have been expecting it, but... That was disappointing from that point of view. And then when I went back to Crash B two years later, it was disappointing for different reasons, more more just because it was the first time I'd ever lost to Luis and I kind of had lost my drive to compete and stuff. But that's... Okay. So, Luis... Luis, oh, Amabella, Amabella, I can never pronounce the second name, Spanish rower. 
um, he, yeah, and yeah. I, he and I would always kind of would turn up at the same races together. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and just be sort of like within touching distance of each other. Yeah. I think it was, there was a group of us. There was like, there was me, Tim Cox, him, Anton, and uh, Jean Sebastian from France, JS. Okay. Um, there's like this group of, of us that were just all kind of interchangeable. And, that, and I, at that point, I was able to, I was just that kind of two, three seconds ahead of everybody. Okay. Um, but then, yeah, yeah. So that was, that was, so, I mean, and, and then various other bits kind of happened at times. So I got the, <laughs> I got the British world record for the 1K for the 40, 49 lightweight. Um, I got that in a 304.6. And then I had the world record for, for a weekend for the for the one k because i don't know if you remember there was a point when concept two would accept unvalidated entries for for records so you could basically just you could say oh honest gov i rose oh yeah, yeah, yeah and and they accepted it and then at one point they then said no we're not we're not accepting this anymore um and yeah and so they removed all of those legacy records bumping me up into the world record but they did this on a Friday, so I suddenly became the world record holder on the, on the Friday. I'm like, hey, I've got it by default, but I've got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the Saturday, the, the CTC that month was a 1K time trial. And, and so, along, yeah, it just... And along comes Tim Mail. <laughs> and gets in three minutes. So I'm like, I had, it didn't even have it long enough for them to send me a certificate. But, um, but yeah, so I had the British record. I got the a world record for the Team 100K. Well, uh, look, I mean... I, I can make you a certificate. <laughs> I can pro- I've, I've got that as like a. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of a long story from um, this year's like World Indoor Sprints, but I've, I've got that as a template on um, on PowerPoint because I wanted to change it slightly. Print off as many as you want. They're just going to be. Yep, I'm great with that as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tin mail thing is a little bit irritating because. Uh, I went to Henley Masters. Oh wow! Um, the other day, so so not proper Henley, old man's Henley, and it was just an absolutely random collection of people who I'd raced with before and raced against in one eight for the the C category eights, and we did really well. And it was like I was rowing it. It's like. This is great. This is a brilliant boat. Who do we come up against in the final? Crabtree, Cambridge Old Boys, and he's sitting at four. Tim Mayle. <laughs> <laughs> that was the fastest race of the whole day. So, you know, every single race they'd done, that was the fastest one. But they still got us by two lengths. Um, and it is that slightly strange feeling looking over at Tim Mayle, who's like shorter than me, he's slighter than me, and it's like, yeah, but I know you can run faster than me, yeah. which is really strange. Yeah, I know. Um, Again, I think a lot of that's technique. A little bit. I think this. I think Tim just has that. There's, there's something about him. He ha- He is a sportsman. Whereas I'm. A, I'm a guy who does sport. He is a sportsman. He just has that. That thing about him. It's just. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there is a. I think physically and mentally as well. But anyway, you edit TV. So very much making videos is second nature to you. What, what sort of inspired you to create the Row Along channel? Um, because unlike, I think, quite a lot of people out there who are pushing rowing and indoor rowing 
as on YouTube, you seem to be very much doing this. Here's a fun thing everyone can do, and I'm not going to charge anyone for it. I'm not, you're not trying to sell anyone anything. I don't know if you've even got any merch for it. Um, it, it it's just, you just seem to, uh, how many videos have you got now? Well, quick, I think, I, I, I think I'm up at 250. I kind of have stopped counting. Okay. You know? So, I mean, so that, that, that's a fair old investment of time. And these are actually really quite neat little videos. Well, thank you. That's kind of you. Um, it, well, it started off as a proof of, not proof of concept, but like I, I'd, I'd seen a couple of other people try try and do them. I, um, trying to think if, I, I mean, I, I might have mixed up my head, but I'm pretty sure I saw one of the early British rowing ones for their, um, what do they call, I can't remember what they, they call their own online thing. But they, they have a similar idea where they, okay, yeah. where they have, have it. But it, it was like had lots of camera angle cuts and it was a little bit confusing as to what it was and things. And it still was all very kind of, po face is the wrong, because it's not po face, but it's all very kind of corporate British rowing, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, 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 and so I thought, well, right, for a start, all of the camera angle cutting is just annoying. If you're trying to actually follow and roll along with someone, then you just want a side on shot of someone so you can follow them and you, you don't care about oh, it's from the front, oh, it's from the side, oh, it's a wide shot and whatever. So, so I started to think, well, hang on, this is something I can do myself and, and just to see. So I, I did a couple of videos, went to a CrossFit gym that I knew and set up and, and did a couple just to, just to see how it would work and thought, I'll just roll a couple of sessions, see if anyone watches them. And then a few people did. And I thought, ah, actually, this kind of this kind of works. Can I talk while I'm rowing? Okay, okay. But it wasn't until um, basically I made about ten of them, and then I kind of left it alone for almost a year because the the CrossFit gym got condemned. Um, okay. And I was then kind of stuck going, where, where can I do these? Um, and then uh, in the process of all of that, I then suddenly <laughs> they got obviously got dodgy shoulders. I then did something to my collarbone, the kind of muscle running down this way. Okay. And couldn't row as fast anymore while I went into rehab. And then I suddenly I thought, well, actually, I need to, I want to keep on rowing, but I need to do something that can allow me to row. But then I can't row a hundred percent because yeah. it's always going harder. I thought, well, actually, those those at the time I was I was calling it um, push don't pull um, rather than row along, um, or push it don't pull it. I ended up calling it. Um, uh, but then I ended up in a conversation with Shane from Dark Horse and changed it to Roll Along just because of the whole IP branding thing, but, which yeah. is fine. I should have called it Roll Along in the first place, um, so he was perfectly right. Anyway, so I, I thought about then and I thought, well, actually, I can't, if I'm talking while I'm rowing, I can't row at 100%. So, okay, that's what I'll do. And then I thought, well, uh, what shall I do? And I thought, well, you know what? I need to keep on doing some kind of a training plan. I need to keep myself. I can't just sit down and do 30 minutes all the time. Yeah. People need some kind of sense of variety. How do, what do I do? And I thought, well, I'll just start rowing a few sessions. Then I'll package them up into a plan that I'm going to do myself to see if anyone else watches. And actually, it's people just kind of have just satellited in from places. I, I don't promote, apart from posting the odd video on Facebook, I don't promo it. I don't post, I don't advertise, I don't pay for hits. I don't, I, I, so I just kind of wait. Just, I, I couldn't do more that way. I'm sure I could spend a lot of money and try and bring yeah, it up. Yeah, it out. But I just thought, right, okay, so here we go. We've got the plan. We've got what we're going to do. And then I thought, well, what's going to make me different than anyone else? And I thought, well, to just be me and to not be bombastic, to not be 
hey everyone come come and roll hard and you're doing amazing like you get on apple fitness nowadays i'm, I'm not gonna I, i'm i mean i'm relatively fit but i'm certainly not the kind of guy you want to see with his top off so i'm just gonna basically be as though i'm rowing alongside you and that's kind of what i missed myself is that i just do all my training on my own so i thought i'll just yeah. set stuff up as though i'm sitting next to you and I'm rowing with you and we're having a chat. I'm talking to you while you're rowing. I'm trying to get you through it. I'm trying to tell you what to do and, and all that kind of stuff. And let's just see if that's what people resonate to. And it ended up working that, yes, the, the bombastic guys have got a heck of a lot more subscribers and views than I have. But the people that do watch my stuff really enjoy the fact that it's just me going, hey, folks, right, come on, let's, let's row along together. And um, and if I make an error and I get my mask wrong halfway, I just stick my hand up and go and say what an idiot I am. So I try and just be real. And it's like, like I say, it's as though I'm uh, rowing beside people. And that way, it means that because I'm rowing the session as well, when I start to suffer, because we're doing the whole 2K training pace thing, that my 2K plus 20 effort-wise is the same as your 2K plus 20. So really, if I start to find it tough, there's a really good chance you're starting to find it tough at that point too. So I can say, right, come on, this is the point to push through and whatever. And it really does work. It hits most people's kind of intensity point. And so I think that's kind of worked for the people that come and watch it, that they think, you know what, I just want someone who's like a friendly, motivating voice to my ear that isn't trying to BS me the way through it, that isn't just shouting platitudes, that also isn't either not doing the sessions themselves or asking too much of people. And so it seems to have worked. And that's why I just continued through the 2K, the 5K, the I'm now on a 10K plan, 500 meter plan of things that, yeah. And I've got a core bunch of people that come along and watch it all the time. And I'm getting what, four or 500 new subscribers a month and stuff. So I'm quite happy. And, and just to, to end it, because I've, damaged myself because i'm injured right yeah i am using this as rehab so i'm selfishly rowing these sessions at that 90 percent level as rehab to try and get fitter faster stronger again and it just so happens that people are watching me while i do it and they're also getting fit faster stronger so why would i charge how could i charge people when they're actually the therapy that's helping me to get through this i i think i actually posted this to don't know if it's on Facebook or on Reddit or something like that. I just said, because people were talking about, should I buy a Concept 2 or should I buy a Hydro Row? Mm -hmm. One of the big connected 3,000 pound machines. And I said, to be honest, everything you can get on Hydro Row, you'll find just a C2 enthusiast will do for free on YouTube. I mean, partly it, it's one of these things that I'm very interested, which is the economics of rowing in general mm. because um somebody once described to me as the zero billion dollar industry worldwide it, it i mean certainly certainly water rowing nobody makes any money out of it mm. you know boat builders each year struggle to break even i think in the uk there's probably one profitable one or two profitable regattas and everything else is kind of slightly subsidized by a club one way or another and sort of like they sort of make money on selling burgers and stuff like that and it kind of almost this kind of idea that people are, love being involved in the sport they're just willing to volunteer 
I find it really, really interesting that you have that passion for the sport, which doesn't seem to be there in something like, or no, the passion is there, but the passion to do things and just do it for free doesn't seem to be there in something like triathlon or CrossFit or MMA. So, I mean, so do you have any sort of insight into where that comes from? What? That I think you just happy to do it? I think it comes from concept two. It's interesting we bring this up. I had a, uh, a great conversation with, um, uh, with JS, with John Sebastian, the, the French uh, rower that was on about, where, where we were talking about, he was saying, it's like concept two have created this model of something that we advertise for them. When somebody posts on the internet, what rowing machine should I buy? We all say concept two. Yeah. Alex from Concept2 doesn't pop up and go, oh, we've got a great rowing machine, you should use ours. It's all driven by us. If we want to, to do a, an indoor rowing competition, we all say row in a Concept2. We, we, we go down that route. We, we set up all these Facebook groups, the Concept2 Indoor Rowing Hub, the Concept2 Community. The, and and if, you actually, if you look for, yes, it's a water rower group and yes it's like an indoor rowing group that kind of covers everything or whatever but if you look at the online um, spread of Concept2 it's huge and it's all driven by people like the volunteers who make the CTC competition the, the fact, yeah. I mean because I've got what well, I've got my indoor rowing info website I've got the FMMC uh, competition I run there's a row 555 competition I run there's obviously this roll along all these kind of things that I do because I'm passionate about sport None of which is driven by Concept2 Inc. It's all because I love the sport and I love that kind of the, the community that's been built up from, from within. So somehow at one point, whether it's because how Concept2 started or whatever, who knows, but at some point they've, they've, got, they've created this magic sauce where we're doing it all for them. And, and it's just, it's genius that nobody else has. Look at Peloton. Peloton are spending a fortune advertising what they're doing. I mean, they've got Michael Phelps in now. They've got Usain Bolt. They're selling, talking about merch, there's a shop, a Peloton shop on Buchanan Street in Glasgow just selling merchandise. And Buchanan Street in Glasgow is the most expensive place you could have a, a shop because it's like the main. I'm thinking, how much money are these people making that they can pay all these folks? So, I'm sure there is money to be made from this kind of thing, but it's just not something that I think about. And I think if you look at someone, I get, I, I, I'm only bringing him up because he's, he is the power horse, huh? but dark horse rowing. Yeah. Shane's, Shane's got a great model where he, he gives away loads of stuff for free. And, he, and he's, um, he's amazing and he's really helpful for everybody. But then you, you, you hit the paywall for, right, if you want the plan, if you want to be, in the dark horse community, this is when you start paying. So he's done really well yeah. monetizing this. As his, like Sam Blythe was one of the first ones to, to monetize it from the concept to kind of the Facebook communities and things to kind of start selling out plans. Because before then it was, it was people like um, the Peak Plan and the Wolverine Plan. People yeah, just, absolutely. I mean, it's like completely free. Yeah. And, yeah. and to be honest, pe people, you know, I'd still recommend the Peak Plan to people. And yeah. they say, oh, What's a good training program? Try this. Peat Plan 5K. Works for 2Ks as well. What you miss from the, the, the Peat Plan things like that, of course, is that, that you miss having that person at the end. Like if you if you pay the money yeah. to Eddie Fletcher to do his, his training stuff, you get Eddie Fletcher. You don't just get a, 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 a monosyllabic response in the Facebook group or like nothing. 
but then you get like like again Sam's thing he's got a community that he goes into and he pitches and helps and everybody shares they're all doing week one session one together so they so they do so, so that's a great thing for for what he's designed for that and like Dark Horse is like machines across it and I'm sure Austin does his own thing or whatever but I I just I mean but, but to the tagline I say is I want to roll along with you I don't want to make money out of you and and it's true is at this point I, I don't I feel that actually I'm doing a service to help people. And in, and in many ways, if I can try and help people for free, it will bring more people into the, the sport. And then maybe, you never know, maybe I'll find the Russian oligarch that says, um, says oh, I'm, I'm unfit. I'm going to get fit and be fast. I'll pay you a million pounds to do it. Who, who knows? But... But for the time being, while all the rowing sessions I'm doing are ones that I'm filming anyway, then I, I don't need to. I know I could, to be honest. I know I could easily set up a website and say, um, it, it pay £5 a month for this plan, and I would probably make a whole bunch of money. But yeah. I don't want to, because there's already people out there doing it. And actually, I just want to get... It, it, it's, it's stupid altruism. There's no, There really is no other thing than it just I'm doing it but I've always done this when I was a DJ I had a website and it and um, I taught people how to DJ which luckily enough I ended up turning into DJing for dummies the for dummies books okay. so, I, so it did turn into something I didn't have the Russian oligarch in the end um, but everything I've done even like in my TV role it became a manager and uh, I'd start to kind of groom new editors in the BBC and whatever before I kind of went, hang on, I just want to edit. So I've always wanted to help people and I've never really wanted something out of it. And I guess if I look at squash, this is probably actually, you know, this is a good therapy session. If I look at squash and I blew my shoulder and stopped playing, that was it for me. I've never walked on a squash court since. My All my friends were squash players. My best man was my squash coach. Um, Everything I did was squash. And I just walked away, walked away from my friends and absolutely everything. And I, I mean, apart from Facebook, I don't speak to them or see them see them ever again. And I saw that happening with rowing between uh, between like a performance drop off from the fact that my, my brain went, like I said about the, I started to fear the 2K and stuff and, and whatever, and then destroying my, my not destroying, but damaging my collarbone. Yeah. I saw the same thing happening where I'm like, hang on, I'm circling the drain here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up on rowing if I don't do something. And I didn't want to because I'd, I'd done it before, and I kind of, I quite like the friends I've got now in rowing. I don't want to get rid of them. So I thought, how, how do I stay in this world? How do I try and kind of keep my profile up in terms of that I've still got my friends, people know who I am, whatever. And and I guess row along's probably it. While I then trade water and try and come back and then hopefully when I turn 50 I'll be, I'll be able to go, yeah, <laughs> go go for a few few records I, I've kind of like it really bugs me because I'm just in terms of age groups I'm exactly the same age as Graham Benton right he, he turns I, I think it's like three months before me and you know when I was 39 I was actually really quite fit and you're thinking, right, next year I'm, I'm going to go to the brick and there's, you know, it's going to be me and Paul Buchanan. Uh, might, I might be able to take him. And then I just saw us, like, post on Facebook, 
Graham Benton, yes, 40, made it. And it's like, oh, God. And he, just, and he literally spent the next six weeks breaking all the world records for the age group. And it's just like, yeah, that's that's that plan, John. Never mind. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping he's going to give up, you know, before he's 70. I'll, I'll get in there and I'll take a few 70-plus world records. But the thing, I mean, that's an interesting point. So, I mean, as as flippant as it is, it actually it happens. I mean, if I look at uh, who's the two two recently, so Jan Jan Rowing, yeah, I know, yep, um, French. Uh, he was rowing for uh, Garage Athlete, incredibly fast. Um, some of some of the times he put in, you're like, "Crikey, this guy, I'm never going to beat him." He's just quit. He's like, "I'll just roll for." For exercise, but I'm no longer no longer going to race. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then Simon, um, oh, can't remember his second name. That's really rude because he's, he's actually one of the fitness matches. But Simon, Simon, Simon. Um, again, he's 50 years old. He's like a, a 632k guy, incredibly fast. But again, he's like, I'm done with competing. It's just too much for me. Um, okay. I'll, I'll roll for, for competition that's it and I think as we get older as we kind of get up into that 50s group we're going to experience that I, I doubt I'm afraid that Benton's going to quit but if you look at that, again I, I mean I mentioned him quite a lot just because he's a good friend but like, look at Sam Blythe yeah. he, he was like he's like the, the big rowing uh, hope he was the first first person under six foot to go or one of the first people in Britain six foot under six minutes it's like incredible and incredibly powerful he's winning everything and now he's injured and he can't row and you're like okay so as we get older we were we're kind of hemorrhaging the, the good rowers yeah um so that so, so that i guess so in, in terms of communities I, I personally think that there are some really, really strong community, indoor own communities, for the most part, centered around Facebook. Mm. In, in my experience, it, it, it's not Twitter. It's not Instagram so much. It is Facebook and YouTube where you find indoor rowers. How do you, I mean, how much interaction have you had with the sort of water rowing community? So, like, the guys who get out in the rivers. Because I, I find that I'm very rare in the fact that I row and race indoors and outdoors. Mm. I, I find relatively few people jump between the two communities. I mean, I, out, of, out of the people that I know, I figure it would be around about 5 to 10% of them are a hybrid uh, across the two. Most, most of the people I know are... are it's a completely separate sport. I mean, yeah. concept, concept two is about making a machine go fast. It's not about rowing. It just so happens that the, the action is similar to what you do in the water. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could, I could count on even one hand the amount of people that that I know that I'm kind of good friends with that are that are actually on the water rowers. And I mean, and I, I, I I'm not going to say I flirted with it, but I when I went into Crash B the first time round, when I was kind of thinking, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm doing quite well here. I'm about to be 40. Here, here we go. I got in touch with Scottish Rowing and said, oh, I'm, I'm uh, going into Crash B. Do you want to, um, get any any support for going out? Even like a T-shirt or whatever? And the response was basically, no, you're just in our rowing. We don't really, we don't support or, not don't support, it makes it sound like they were being mean about it, but they were just like, well, we'd have, it's, you're just a, 
you're a gym rat. And it's basically as far as they were, they were concerned yeah. for, for what I was. And so um, I'm like, all right, okay. So I went to Crash B, came back, and then with the fourth, and kind of, and because I had the guy's email, and I'll just let you know I came fourth. And he's like, all right, well done, whatever. And I thought, well, I'm not going to let it end there. So at least said, uh, would, I mean, I, do you care about me as a kind of a water lord? And, and again, it's not like he said, no, he's like, he's like, well, if you want to come out and have a have a trial and whatever, but there was no kind of like, oh, you can do a six forty two k. You're you're forty years old. You'd be quite good in the masters, boat, blah 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 blah. It was just yeah. a very, you know, like, uh, and so I really got the sense. And, and I mean, to be to be fair, this is what 2013, 14, and uh, or fifteen, I would be. Um, and I think they've got hold of the, the indoor rowing side of things now, where they realise actually that there is value to to promote indoor rowing. So this was. It's unfair to talk about them now in that way, but certainly six, seven years ago, they didn't see indoor rowing as anything worth pursuing. Um, and so that just kind of made me go, oh, well, if you don't care about me, then I'm not going to... And there's really only uh, here like a couple of options that I could have done in, t- in terms of going out and trying to investigate. And I really would have thought that Scottish rowing on the, with Strathclyde Lock, if nothing else, they would have said, yeah, come on out on a Saturday morning and do a taster session. But they didn't even give me that. They were just like, eh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the, one of the things that I, I think that because I'm I'm that kind of bizarre nerd, I actually look up the figures for the number of people who row on the water <laughs> every year. It was looking really quite healthy in like 2016, 2017, and then it's just done this tail off. It's two the, the last time it was measured. So that was probably 2019, 2020. It was half the number of people were saying, I have rode on the water twice in the last 28 days. Wow. Um, so it, it started off at, I think it was, uh, yeah, I think it was 180,000. So it was 120,000 men and 60,000 women in the year after the Olympics. And it dropped down to 60,000 men and 30,000 women. Wow. By kind of like the, the 1920 season. And when you look at the sort of massive resurgence of interest, you know, through CrossFit, I think just organically looking at indoor rowing, particularly over the lockdown, mm. it really does seem as though on the water rowers are I mean not just British rowing but just clubs in general are really missing a trick I, I don't know really how you bridge that that gap I mean is, is it is it a community thing is it you know any ideas <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I mean the thing is it'd be interesting to find out what the numbers were like before 2012 just to see, or like 2008, it's just to see at what point did the rise have? Because you, you, you are you are going through the red grave time and, and whatever. Yeah, way. I mean, th- there, is a, there is a huge blip up after every Olympics. I think there's a recruitment issue that, that goes down to two cracked fissures. And I think the first first one is, is relatively easy to solve. Where schools, where I mean, I'm, I, again, I've said this to the Scottish rowing people, saying what you need to do is get a, get a rowing machine into the schools and basically do what they did with the Australian Institute of Sport, where you have 
you've got a rowing machine, you've got a, a tennis bat and a, and a ball or whatever. You've got all these kind of different things and you sit kids on it and see what they're good at and then give them a chance because kids might be all rowing, but then they suddenly, oh, I've got to get in a boat and I've got blah, 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 and maybe have no idea that they could actually sit down and slog out two minutes in a rowing machine and go, actually, that's quite, and it's, not, it's a gateway drug. Yeah. But if you can get them in on that and then kind of get them through the system. But again, nobody seems, I, I would have thought, I'm thinking, surely it's a no-brainer to try and actually get into youth clubs, get into schools, get into some and, and and try and seek out who's there, who could be good. Because look at the Helen Glover story. Yeah. It's just incredible. The, the fact that they, she just got plucked out, got called a mongrel, that actually she had the... She had the, the, just the will and the drive to do it, and that's what she did. If they went down the standard recruitment process, they would never would have found Helen Glover. And, 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 and that takes me down to the second fissure, which is this idea of you have to be... It's like, if you're not a certain height, we're not interested in you. Yeah. Which is just... I understand the thinking behind it. And, and actually, if you start to bring in everybody of every height that had some kind of form of ability, then you're going to have an overwhelming amount of numbers. And it's probably easier to kind of uh, separate the wheat from the chaff by doing a height thing because you're going to get more, probably more heights. But I just think that's such an odd way to do it. Because again, look at Blythe being under, uh, under six yeah. foot and he can foot pull it. Some people just have, or, or even like Tim Mayo where some people are just built sportsmen and to, and to actually say that they're not allowed because they're an inch too short or whatever, you just think it's that, especially when it comes to, and then when they start profiling kids that way as well and saying, are you this tall as a 14 year old? And you're like, whoa, hang on. Are you interested in rowing? Should really be the first yeah. question. And then, and then you go into a, a filtration system. Are you, you do a test. Are you great? You go that way. Are you not great? Here's your local rowing club. And, yeah. and that's how you do it. You don't say, oh, you're too short, go do something else. Okay. Development needs to develop. You can't start putting up brick walls in front of people to try and funnel people through. But again, you, you could then end up with, with unmanageable numbers. So Thinking about that, I mean, looking at more of a, an indoor rowing thing, yeah. from your point of view, what would make the, the rowing machine better and more accessible to more people? That, that is a problem because again part of what I do a roll along is trying to do that it's because really what it needs is someone to tell them how to do it properly the amount of people that I speak to that say um, oh yeah I went to the gym once I tried to roll a machine I hated it I got a really sore back and I didn't blah 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 and I didn't get a workout and, yeah, and I say to them right where did you set the lever and they go oh, 10 because that's what you said I'm like okay did anyone tell you what to do no All right did you know that you're meant to push with your legs and not pull with your arm? What? And 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 it, it, you, you can almost, everybody that says they don't enjoy rowing, especially new ones, I mean, obviously you get to our point, you cannot enjoy rowing for different reasons, but, but when you first go to the gym, people are like, I hate the rowing machine. It's like, yeah, it's because the, the PT is too busy talk, having a conversation with you, using it as a warm-up. Your, your posture's terrible, so you've got a really sore back. You're not doing it right, so you're not actually getting the workout you're, you're intended to get or whatever. And if you did it right, then good God. I mean, it's like the people that say that they're bored on it. I, I always say, if you are bored in a rowing machine, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't have the sessions I do, I couldn't tell you my name <laughs> because I'm going so hard. So... 
really that's what it's down to. I don't think it's down to tech. I don't think having a fancy screen, because look at Hydro. I mean, you can pay whatever for the Hydro that has like a much more fancy screen in the front of it. And I don't think it's going to bring in any more people yeah. that will stay with the sport. It'll be like Peloton where people will think that they can buy their way into fitness. That they'll that I I spend three thousand pounds on this rowing machine and I spend thirty pounds a month on a subscription, therefore I can now eat cake. And that's kind of what's going through their mind. That because they bought the kit, they don't actually have to do the work. It's like it's a, it's like a, a guilt thing. Actually, you need to climb on the machine and row. That's kind of what it comes down to. And so, even if you have Apple Fitness on the monitor in front of you or whatever you still need to be able to motivate yourself to put in the work. And I think there is no quick fix that way. Unless, I mean, remember they used to put stickers on the on the, the, the neck of the machine with like the, the actual, the positions of the roads. Yeah. Um, it's it, because of the importance of trying to get people technique-wise. And so, yeah, there is no... No, no quick fix. I mean, I... I... I've I've always thought about sort of like, oh, could you like stick like LEDs on? You have like one LED on your hip, one LED on the handle, and one LED on your shoulder, and it just you know like the light dancing things that they used to have. Yes, it's made to that trace, and you get a little computer program on your phone saying. No, push more with your legs. Don't open your back so soon. Uh, Pull through more on your arms. Um, RP3 used to do that. Did they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking it's the RP3. The, the, the rowing machines, because it wasn't a concept too that, that was at David Lloyd on, as a matter of fact. I don't know if it was, yeah. It was something else. And you could link all the machines up together and it would say to you, um, you're uh, opening your back too early, you're pushing with your legs too early. And this was... 2003 so there was some and I, I, I can only assume it was an early version of the RP3 that was doing it yeah. or someone there definitely was one that did that and I mean there are there, there there's apps um, I don't know if it's a direct feedback app but there are ones where you can video yourself and then afterwards it tells you oh you you are doing arms legs body instead of the other way around or whatever but but yeah, you're right. There isn't really a, a real time feedback that would kind of uh, just like shout at you in your ear. Uh, I mean, yeah, I did do. A, I did a survey thing for a um, was it a Canadian university or uh, they had, yeah, I think it was Canadian university, and it's about a device that you wear that basically tells you about posture, whether you got your posture right or not, and it gives you f- feedback, either a buzz or a a voice goes in saying straighten up or whatever. But I think, again, it's going to be a little bit cum- cumbersome. What, what you need... And the thing is, is, if you look at the force curve on the machine, that is really all, in, all you need to look at. You can tell from a force curve what yeah. someone's doing. And so maybe that's what what you're saying is, is a good idea, but you don't actually need the LEDs. What you need is, again, like a phone app that interprets your force curve and says, right, you're likely swinging it back too early because you've got that little zoom up. That, that little blip there. Yeah. But, but then, but I, I, it depends what you're looking at. It depends whether you're looking at just the gym user who's just going to roll in a Concept 2 more or if you're trying to look at getting these people into the Concept 2 community, into the CTC, into all that kind of stuff. And that, I think, then comes down to 
like, 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 let's go right back to the beginning of this chat. I stumbled upon everything. I did, nobody told me about all the stuff online. If it wasn't, for, I suppose it was in the manual, I guess. But I, I kind of, I found out all this stuff. There was no big poster saying, like, next to the, the thing saying, "Are you a good rower? Go to the CTC and join a team and whatever." So, so then it comes down to again, it's what I was saying before that it's down to us. That I mean, I, I've done it in a gym where I've, I've been rowing, and then the guy next to me has been actually beasting a one k, and I've kind of said. Just at the end of it, I said, uh, do you row for anyone? And, and he's like, no, I just come in. And he goes, oh, I'll go to the, and check out this team and go to this website, just kind of hoping that they would. But either they forget or they're like, I actually got no interest or they think I'm, I'm coming on to them or whatever. <laughs> there is that slight, slightly worrying thing. But because like the female rowers are so important in the CTC, I've been kind of looking up people on the, um, on, on the concept to logbook site on Facebook. Just mm. like, do you want to come and row in sub seven? Like, <laughs> probably a bit dodgy, probably shouldn't, but then we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So very much you're, you're just training, you know, partly you're training for rehab now and just to maintain the fitness. You are also taking people through a a training program to be honest, by by going in the the footsteps of others. To be honest, I mean the very first the two K plan that I did, uh, yeah, the first plan I did was the two K plan, and that was round about this time last year. And I got in touch with uh, Pete Marston and says, um, "Hey man, listen, you, you're giving this away for free. If I uh, if I constantly refer to the Pete plan, do you mind if I make roll along videos?" Um, based on your plan. I said, I can't do exactly the same because sometimes you're a little bit woolly about the distance and actually as a row along, everything I have to do has to be time-based mm-hmm. um, because you can't have, you, you can't do distance on a row along yeah. if you're going to get um, And again, Pete's like, yeah, man, go for it. Just, yeah, go on. Um, and he just, and he's just, it's obviously the same idea as me that he's he's just come up with this plan, give out to people, try, hey, just, Use it, be fitter, faster, stronger, whatever you want to be. And so he was he was great with it. And so I just um, followed his sessions, um, tweaked them where, where I needed to and kind of and put them on and, and said to everyone, look, here's here's my 2K plan uh, based on the people plan. I kind of came back about six months later and revisited it and kind of looked at the feedback that I got because there's quite a lot of his sessions have like five-minute rests and things that don't really work for the YouTube generation where... Yeah, if they're in a gym, they don't want to be. If they're sitting, this is like obviously before lockdown, but if they're in a gym, they don't want to be sitting there for five minutes on a machine when someone else is waiting to get on it. So you kind of yeah. had, to, had to tweak it. But then for the, the future, for the other plans, it started to be experience of I've been through. Um, the, again, the reason I talk about Sam stuff so much is because that's the first proper training plan I did was the the fitness matters one. Cool. And so that that was kind of my exposure, and so in my head that's what a training plan should be and actually when you read more about how other people do it it's the same everything does the same thing it's like you you have a, a low intensity a middle intensity and a top intensity and you just make sure to cycle in and out of them so you make sure you do like a bottom then a mid then a bottom then a top then a bottom so you've always got the power recovery so it's really easy to design a plan and then what it becomes comes down to is designing the sessions and then for that 
in many ways it helps that I'm constrained by the fact that everything has to be to time. So it's all like five minutes or one minute rest or three minutes or two minute rest. And then it's time to pace and stroke rate to kind of mix mix it all up. And the experience on other, on other plans and kind of thinking about the peak plan, thinking about Sam's stuff and kind of taking in some of their ideas. And then just kind of saying, you know what, what do I enjoy doing? I, 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 I enjoy doing 500 meters hard, 500 meters paddle, which you don't get. A lot of these people don't have like a paddle. It's like 500 weeks hard rest. 500 weeks hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what we mean. There's, there's no, whereas I'll do, like, in fact, in the, the 10K plan right now, I've got one that's 20 seconds at 2K plus five, then 20 seconds at 2K plus 25. You do that over like 25, half an hour. I can't remember how, how long it is, but it's something that's slight. Different, so it's not just. I, I mean, I just don't want to be sitting here and people going, "Ah, oh, yeah, I recognise all your sessions from Sam or Pete or, yeah. or or whoever." And so, but then again, the session itself is just a way to get them on the machine and to get them through a period of, of intensity on the road machine. And it's just there's a little bit of variation, so they feel like they're doing something different. Yeah. And then it's just the rubbish that I chat to them about during it is what then motivates them to stay on there so i'm talk, telling them about oh, this is the importance of technique don't look at me just this is what you're meant to do do, do what i say not what i do whatever and, and and i'll talk about my my history as a rower i'll talk about my what i'm eating that night for dinner and stuff just to try and keep them on the machine and that's really what it comes down to if you can get someone to stay on the machine longer than they would have if they just had stuck in their earbuds then that then that's it it doesn't in the end as long as the intensity is is low enough for them to get fitness and then high enough for them to get speed really you only need to bounce between those two you don't really even need that mid-tempo one yeah but it's just there to give them a little bit of variety and then the rest of it's just smoke and mirrors to try and make it seem like it's different yeah I mean it does seem like a fantastically effective way to motivate people it's just like have that thing video comes out you can watch it whenever you want you don't you're not fixed to a time and then you just do it and it's just like yeah we'll run along with John um and then you also just just before before you never underestimate the importance of a plan though where if, if you say to someone, right, you're on a five-week plan every single time, it doesn't matter whether you do this over five weeks or seven weeks or ten weeks, you just do it in order. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Even if it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Monday, Tuesday, the next week makes up your five. These are the sessions that you roll one after another. So you've got 25 sessions to do one after the other. Removing that choice, that moment of choice from them, is actually really effective. It's like if you, if you have to eat the same lunch every day, you remove that thought process from yourself. You're just like, well, I'm just going to have chicken and spinach today, chicken and spinach today, chicken and spinach today. And you, you no longer have to think about lunch. And if you walked into a gym or you're into your own machine and went, what am I going to do today? Then you're like, oh, well, and more often than not, you'll take the easy route out and you'll go, oh, I'll just do a 30 minute, 20 strokes per minute. I'll just go for a low rate fitness thing. Whereas if someone's given you a plan and says, right, you are on week one, session three, this is your two minutes hard, one minute rest session, you go, all right, okay. And then you just sit down and you do it. So that is the, 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 this is the thing of a plan is literally having someone tell you what to do. And yeah. then it helps if they know what they're on about, which I still fake my way through every, every day. But um, yeah, and that's, results come from literally just from consistency and structure. Cool. <laughs> 
to, to be honest, there's there's like so much in there that is like really right. making thing. Is is that's like enough low intensity stuff to get fitness, enough high intensity stuff to get speed. You don't actually need anything else. It's, and, and it's against how the New Zealand, how the Kiwis, well, how I read that they train. It's like it's eighty percent, twenty percent, eighty percent of the stuff is low, low intensity, almost maffetone heart rate stuff, where it's just about foundation building, and then the other twenty percent is maximum. There's none of these, none of these five minutes at, at um, UT three or whatever, wherever we're at, UT one. None of that kind of tempo thing. It's all low or high in terms of variability and to try and make sessions interesting, I think that's when things like the five times five minutes with two minutes rest in between become quite important. But yeah. I, also, I don't know, I, I, I talk about the exposure to hardship quite a lot in, in my, my sessions where I think it's important that you, like the 30 minute gen fits, I think the reason that they actually worked well for me is that when you're doing a half hour row at a time trial, then after about three minutes, you're you're suffering, and you just have to hold on and keep on rowing for the next twenty-seven minutes. If all you're ever doing is low rate and then short sprints, you never really get longevity of pain. So when you do then get faced with like a five k row, and yeah. you've got seventeen minutes of of pain or hardship, let's call it. If you've never actually experienced seventeen minutes of hardship, you might go, "What the what what can fall over?" So I know I'm talking myself out of cancelling the mid-tier workouts but they do they do have the place but if you're just thinking about a one like a, a, a one a kid sprint in, yeah yeah no no I, I I agree I mean and again it, it's like that thing that you know anything becomes insanely intense on the rowing machine if you do it hard enough you know I, I, I've heard people talk about oh what's the hardest workout you've ever done it's like anything as long as you're doing it hard you know it's it's, it's like just a yeah a 5k can just you know by the end of it you're praying for the sweet release of death yeah. um you know it's just like what's it what's gonna t- turn up soon it's like me dying or the finish line and do i care which comes first <laughs> it's just i've just got to keep around i mean some, something i heard you said is i I mean, I've, I've just got it in the notes here. It's like you said that you thought one of the ways of like making competing and racing better would be to start, you know, we've talked about the 2K and the 5K, but to, to start ignoring those distances and kind of go for slightly more novel yeah. ways think, of doing things. I think so. I mean, there's, there's, there's two things behind this. The, the, first, the first one is literally... The 2K test is something that, like, on the water rowers have to do all the time in, in terms of prove themselves on whatever. So, actually, when it comes to doing races, and you're like, oh, it's a 2K, I mean, half the what I'm, well, all right, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm obviously putting words into the mouth, but if you're trying to pull them into doing an indoor rowing competition that they, would, that they wouldn't normally do, to give them that hellish thing that they've been doing all blooming summer anyway they're like oh, why the heck would i do that again just for a, for a bit of fun i'm just going to take this this easy so it, it's not an attractive distance 2k yes as, as indoor rowers we want it to feel like we're, we're doing something that the big boys are doing but 
it's it, it doesn't need to be that. So yeah, you have your two key races, but then you also have you can look at the concept two monitor and say, right, what does it give me? Like the CrossFit guys do it right because they've got they do calories that they don't tie themselves into something. And then you can say, well, you know what? Actually, I can I can set the monitor up as a intervals variable. I can do uh, how fast can I get in three minutes, and then I can do a one k row, and then I can have a a, a one minute at 20 strokes a minute, see how far I can get or whatever. All these things are, are, are in front of you that you can do that, that again, the CrossFit people do well. The, um, uh, was it just, just rows? I write the train Manchester guys, Matt, uh, he, he was running. Um, but I think again, he had to talk as a COVID, but that was great. It was like a, a, a 10 minute row followed by a minute and a half row followed by, um, a 1500 meter row all with like kind of breaks in, in between and where and it all had to be done within all had to be done within 20 minutes that's what it was you had these three events had to do it within 20 minutes and it's perfect and it suddenly becomes something that people can can actually kind of dive into and go oh this is something that oh a little bit of tactics i can do this here and you yeah. know and, and so and then you look at the the world games was that two years ago two years ago the world games when they, they started to do these different things it was like it was it was how far can you get in six minutes so you had them all rowing for six minutes just trying to see who could get the furthest so there wasn't this um marco stops and then so-and-so stops and then whatever yeah, yeah. everybody was pushing to the line and they all stopped and went who got the furthest? who got the furthest? And, and so i i think there is this whether it's because it's Scottish rowing that runs Scottish Indoor Rowing Championships, so obviously oh, it has to be our flagship distance event, and British rowing run the, the indoor rowing, so it has to be the flagship, and, and whatever. But we are kind of leaving it to the CrossFit people to kind of mix up and, and do things differently. Yeah. So, and whether it's just the people fear of ridicule, you, you, you don't know if someone, someone starts to wants to try and set up a rowing event. And they do something wacky, or are all the, the indoor rowing purists going to come along and say, oh, "I'm sorry, I, I don't see how how we can row this one to a two k time and, and whatever." You just, I think there is an avenue. I think we, we it could be mixed up. I don't think it has to stick to two k's all the time. I think there's, especially when you look at the calendar, the, the race calendar through like um, through I don't know, run about November to March, all around the world, all it is is two k's. And you're like, come on, man! Someone, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're throwing something other than a two k. We can do something else. Yeah, cool. um, and like team events and all that, all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, and that's where it's a, it's a great machine for that for for mixing things up and for making it exciting instead of it being four men in a boat. To, that's one of the the disadvantages of rowing. Rowing is that you can't exactly steer the boat. You can't have people jumping in and out. It's you've just all you can do, and in many ways, it it's brilliant fun when you're in the boat. Is just go as fast as you can in a straight line, <laughs> or a more or less straight line. You can kind of go down the Thames if you want, but you're you're not doing any handbrake turns. But yeah, on the rowing machine, you can just. And you can you don't have to tell people what you're going to do. You can just say, "Yeah, we're going to go for like 10,333 10, meters today." To be honest, that's that's kind of like got my my question list. I've got a few little silly questions just for you 
you do talk about technique and I've seen you and I've watched you wrote, obviously. Mm-hmm. And but when you are we talked about the force curve, what does your force curve look like? It, well, it, right, right now it doesn't look very good. Is it, it's, one of the reasons I talk about technique all the time is to try and fix my own technique. That's the thing, and I, I do, I do say this is what I'm saying. Do I, I like do as I say, not as I do, because I, what happens is I'll, I'll work on my technique and it'll get kind of okay-ish, and then I'll just slip away again because I'll lose concentration because I'm talking too much. Yeah. And if I, I uploaded one for the the, the Royal Olympics challenge uh, on Saturday. And oh my god, I was embarrassed looking. I've got these bunny hands up here, and and because I was, I was, who who knows what happened? And my butt scoots back and things. So today, um, I sat down and said, right, I'm gonna just try and iron out these problems with my my hands and my my butt scoot. And suddenly, I've got this beautiful sharp rise, nice long dome, and a sharp finish at the end. Okay. And I'm like, that's what I'm meant to do. So why, why does it, whereas when I look at when I'm getting it wrong and I will get that kind of, it'll rise, there'll be a tiny little kink. Yeah, no, that one. And that's because of my, my butt scoot. It isn't allowing, it's basically the butt scoot creates the back, which then kind of jerks over, which which does it. And then it's like got that, a little bit of a flatter curve because with the, the bunny hands coming up, I'm not, I'm not foot pulling in that full force. So I know when I'm getting it wrong is I see that little, it's like a, a nice little mountain. But when I'm actually rowing as I shoot, then it is actually quite a pleasant upside down U shape. Yeah, so, so not a kind of haystack on the on screen. Yeah. You also do, and, and this is something I'm terrible at, you do feet out rowing, you do strapless rowing. Yes. You know... <laughs> I was brutalized with this when I was actually learning to row a boat and various coaches making me do this. So I see it as the devil's work. <laughs> Why do you, what do you get from that? Well, again, so, I mean, today when I was trying to cure my technique, that's what I get is I did it all strapless because you if, if you get various things wrong and you're strapless, you either, um, you either just see it all going, you see your power going down and you, and you see your force curve getting terrible. Or, at the very worst, if you get it wrong, you fly off the back of the machine. Yeah. So the main principles to, to strapless rowing are that you have to get your legs down, get that power from your legs into the machine right before your backswing finishes and your arms come in. It's not like a legs down, then back, then I'm just like, it's literally the timing is kind of like, doosh, it's, it is really quick, but you need to get those legs down. If you don't get those legs down and you still got leg momentum sending you backwards, you fly off the back of the machine. So that's the first part of it. And then obviously you need your core to be powerful and a good posture in order to be able to soak up what little momentum is left of your back and your arms coming in. So you get a really good core workout and it keeps that posture. So you can't be all rolled down with a with a kind of a squished up lower back but then importantly and this is luckily it's not an well it's not usually an issue for me but it is for some people you can't if you're out of straps you can't tug yourself back up the rowing machine which you know you see when you see people in a gym and they pull themselves up by flicking their feet against the straps which then tucks the tailbone underneath their backside 
their the knees pop up so they have to throw the handle over the yep. knees. They're suddenly coming up to the front and their backs tilted backwards and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so all the, those three elements get completely ironed out if you're doing strapless rowing because you can't tug yourself forwards. You have to get your legs down and you have to use your core because otherwise otherwise you you either send yourself off the back of the machine or if you rely on tugging yourself to the front, you just sit in the back of the machine going, how do I get to the front again? And so therefore you, you have to do the hands away in the body rock to get yourself to the front of the machine. So it's, it really is, it's like, it's almost kindergarten rowing because it, 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 it's like today when I, I said, I have to reset all these issues on my stroke, how I reset it was by doing a half hour, 20 strokes a minute strapless. Right, well, cool. In bare feet. It's really strange. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and think about what I do on the rowing machine now. I will, gi- I will give the uh, the strapless rowing another thing, uh, another go. You also you row without shoes, and now I know a load of people row without shoes. But how did you get into it? And did your feet need to toughen up, <laughs> folks? Yes. So I got into so. I, I, my interest was my interest was peaked. The the uh, crash bees in 2017 was the first time I ever saw someone rowing in socks, and I kind of went, ah, why are they rowing in socks? And spoke to someone, they're like, oh yeah, you get better connection with your feet. And I'm like, all right, okay, fine. And try to find. I was wearing Adidas powerlifts at the time, so I'm thinking, you know what, I've got flat soled shoes. This is, I don't I don't need to worry about my connection. And then the following May was when I. Uh, did the 100k um, world record thing uh, out in France and for that we all did it in socks because it was easier for the transition um, yep. because the route basically just had padding over the straps and then we'd all so rather than having someone hold your feet down or hold straps down it was just we'd slip our feet in and out ourselves and, and we were fine so in order to get my feet okay to be able to do that 100k i spent like three four months rowing in just my socks but what i do is i'd I'd start off and row for two minutes and go oh this is quite uncomfortable i mean the the strap would cut across the top of my toes um even though it's over the balls balls my feet my pinky toe would get kind of all yep certain things and actually the the heel cup um can start to feel bruised after a while so i'd row for like a couple of minutes and i put shoes back on continue rowing and then yeah. the next day three minutes and then but then once i got up to run about 10 minutes that i was able to do it it, it kind of that was it once i was yeah. able to go for 10 minutes okay um and then and then that was it and then and then really what it came down to was after after doing the 100k thing I just still went back into shoes for a while, but then after a while, I thought, you know what? I just went with that connection thing I saw in Garage B. What if that makes a, a difference? And I took my shoes off, raised the the holes up a little bit, did a hundred meter, did a, did a hundred meter test with shoes on, then raised the holes, raised the holes up, obviously to account for the lack of a heel. Um, took the shoes off, did a hundred meter test again, and went faster. I went, all right, there's something in this, and that was really all I, all I've ever done in okay. terms of a, a test. But then the, the, the other reason, just quickly for it, is it also means I don't have to take a pair of shoes with me. So I, I got really used to the fact that I have to row in Adidas Powerlifts because they are the shoes to row in. Yeah. And when I'd, if I go to work and then I would go to the gym at lunchtime, I'm like, well, I can't row because I'm not in my Powerlifts. Yeah, yeah or, or if I'm flying to Boston, I've got to take shoes with me and that's something else to fit in the case. Whereas now, all I have to do is turn up in a, a, a pair of socks and I'm fine. And actually, this this um, over the summer, I've started just rowing barefoot as well. 
um, only because I was rowing outside and because I was getting quite a good tan in this in the sunshine. <laughs> when I was wearing socks, I ended up with like bright white feet. <laughs> so, I, so I just roll, roll um, but yeah, when it goes back, when the world reopens again, I start going back to gyms. I'll go, I, I won't, won't make people look at my feet. I'll put yeah. socks back on. But yeah, but I do think they help. Whether it's psychosomatic or not, it's not a matter, but the, the luggage thing does it for me. Right. Okay. And the last thing I want to ask you is talking whilst you're rowing. Is this is this a particular talent that some people have and some people don't? Because a I, I suppose my my water rowing partner, the guy I've won most with, he can do it. He can talk on the oak. He can talk me through a 5K test. And, you know, he's... I'm stronger than he is, but he will still row pretty much at his max for his 5K test. And I can, you know, I can't breathe enough to talk and I can't think well enough to talk. So, I mean, it seems to come very naturally to you. Is it just, yeah, I can just do that? Or is there a is there a knack to it? I, I, well, I, I think it's something that, like everything else. I think I trained myself into it by doing enough of them. I think if you look at the early roll, roll-ongs or the, the PDP ones, I don't speak half as much as I do nowadays. Okay. Um, uh, but it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I really just think it's, I, what I learned is that it's all about when you breathe. So it's like at the point when you'd actually be exhaling on the recovery anyway, that's when you speak and then you drive. And then this is into the next part of the stroke. And then this is the, and so, so it, that's what it comes down to. But I also think that I'm getting one heck of a good cardio workout from it because of the amount of time that I'm holding my breath through the, the stroke while I'm talking and stuff. So I think this it's it's the other the other side to my rehab is that although I'm not able to row at 100 percent because of my shoulder, I'm still getting 100 percent worth of a cardio workout because I'm talking away. And I, I don't know. I mean the. the the funny thing is, I think if I gave myself time or energy to actually think about what I was going to say, I'd probably start to panic. Okay. So because I, it's just, just that <laughs> comes out of my mouth. I do. I never sit down and think. Right, today's rule. I'm going to. I'm going to talk about diet. Today's. I'm just going to climb on and go. Hey, folks. Which is why I end up going in these massive, some this huge diversions sometimes, or other times I'll just. It will be just. I'll just really just go deep on what I think the right technique is because I'll just I'll just my brain will just focus on that and I can't talk about anything else but but at the same time I don't have music on any of my videos so uh, so if I didn't speak it would just be a whoosh and people would get bored and as it is people a couple of people have said "Uh, your videos are quite dry and I'm like well yeah but just because I like Van Halen and Dead Mouse, why should I subject you to that? If I if I choose my own music and put it in the background, I'll probably drive off a whole bunch of people. And and if they want music, they can just load up SoundCloud or MixCloud or another YouTube tab and play on that. So I actually don't think that the music thing's an issue in the slightest. But I do think that if I was to go for like big long thirty second periods on a slow, monotonous row, I think I just people think on the, the real sprinty stuff. I think again, people. I'm like white noise at that point to them. I think if if you were doing a Tabata workout, 
the the twenty seconds on, 10, 10 seconds off, eight times. I, I I would I'd give you money if you could tell me afterwards what I was talking about during that video because no 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 absolutely um, but it, it, I, to me it, it's the same with it's the same with the music you know it's really really great for the first two minutes yeah. and then it's like it could be silence it could be white noise it could be anything if it, if it's a properly intense you know it, it, when you i think when your heart rate goes above that kind of 90 percent, it's just like it doesn't matter what, what you're listening to you just yeah. you, which, which again is, is, is why i talk techniques so much is that what i figure is that if i talk about it through most of the rows what's going to happen is you're going to be going through and then and then like run about eight minutes to go in your 5k you'll suddenly regain consciousness and there'll be my voice going remember the hip swing and you're like oh god yeah yeah hip swing and then you continue going again and and so it's it, if you sat down and did a bit like let's li- listen and, and and just actually listen to my stuff you'd get really bored of it because I, t- I tend to kind of go through technique quite a lot and just and talk about nonsense but most of the time it is just there is these kind of these moments and, and like I say when, when I start to suffer I know that's the point when I need to say right come on this is the point if fatigue's setting in this is when you need to and you, and you really punch that moment through to try and break out of their their fatigue setting to try and let them go oh yeah arms and then they're back into the eight minutes of hell to get to the finish John it's been a brilliant chat thank yeah. you very much um, I'm going to call it an evening there Yep, uh, I agree. We appreciate you coming on Broken Laws podcast. Thank you very much. It's a great way to spend an evening. Thank you so much. Good night. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was John Stevenson, um, who I believe, being Scottish, is the first member of a minority ethnic community that we've had on the podcast. Sorry. Oh, Pip. Oh, Pip. <laughs> we came so close, but there's Scotland. Uh, and we are now cancelled. Yeah. We're now cancelled, and Scotland will leave the union after that particular comment. I think for me, actually, I hate it in other sports when pundits go, for me, he's got to get the ball into the box if they want to score a goal. For me, he really has to run back there. Uh, well, of course, it's for you, it's your point, but. My takeaway from that, which is another way of saying for me, but, you know, um, thank God for the English degree. I spent a lot of time on a rowing machine and I did all of the things that rowers do on rowing machines. I played all of the mind games about counting strokes and about working the fractions in the split and breaking infinity down into small chunks and all of the rest of it. But a lot of it was basically to do with getting on an erg and doing the session at the rate or at the um, split that was required there's a certain perverse pride in being able to do it because it's part of being a rower and we wear the work that we do like a badge of pride, but also the rowing machine can be quite a boring place to be. Even when there's eight of you in, in a line from your boat and you're, you're all doing the same session and you're, you're together and there's a sense of team, of the team coming together and working together, it still can be quite hard work. And I think John kind of illuminated that there are other ways to approach the erg other than just your 21k at rate 18 other than your pyramids of death you know there, there's more than one way to skin the cat i found it a brilliant nostalgia trip for me because bizarrely i hadn't met john before but or i hadn't interacted with him on the various forums his his indoor rowing career kind of echoed mine we started at roughly the same time you know in the first few years of this century 
Um, we went to a lot of the same races. We know and have spoken with and kind of like a friends online with a lot of the same people. And it was really nice to know that sort of like, I'm not the only one. I'm, there is actually another live human being who's actually as nutty as me. Um, and, you know, it, it was a great throwback to the time when, you know, before water rowing got in the way of my otherwise perfectly happy, solitary indoor rowing career. A lot of what John is doing, I think, is about community. It's about bringing people together Again, giving them another way to get through their session, not necessarily as hard as they can, not necessarily in rigid metronomic time with eight other people. Get through that thing that will give you fitness, that will give you strength to not mean you have to think about your training program. You just load up the next YouTube video. And, you know, it's amazing that he's just doing this for free. Um, I think that's that's an example of something in the mentality of rowers. John's case, he's volunteered his time and his expertise, and he's you know he's provided something that close to six thousand people on YouTube are sitting there and going, are basically downloading every single. Um, episode he produces and rowing along with him, which I think is really very cool and very generous. It's pretty much a lot of the things that we've talked about in rowing with our other guests and among ourselves, Lou. And we have a sense of, of the rowing community and we all know how dependent clubs are, are on volunteers uh, to get things like learn to row courses out, junior courses out, just to get, you know, senior boats out for, you know, for a weekend paddle. Actually, what you're finding is that this idea of community that we have and that we are very, very rightly proud of and that we, we try and curate and perpetuate exists in the indoor community. And there are more overlaps between the two of us than probably I realised before listening to John. As, as with everything, I would encourage our listeners to maybe reach out a little bit to the indoor community. Uh, not only are they potential members of your rowing club, uh, I think they could probably learn from your rowing club on a technical sense. They could bring to your rowing club both financially, even just as indoor members who just use their own machines and use the training program, but they're a really nice bunch and they'd probably be great to have around. I, I, I think we should leave it there. Do you think we should leave it there? I think we should hold Strokeside's head under until the bubble stop coming up. Outside holding. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening.